Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, I'm Michael Zumo and host of New Books in Science Fiction. This week we'll be speaking with Hugh Howey about his series, Wool. I hope you enjoy our conversation. This is a real honor to, to talk with you. Um, you know, the Wool series has eight books out. The ninth is on the way. You have a signed deal with Simon & Schuster to distribute the U.S. and Canada. Um, and the rights to Wool have been sold to 20th Century Fox, too, I think, all since 2011. <laughs> you're, 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 you're pretty amazing. Yeah, I, but I have a I have a pretty amazing team behind me too. I mean, I've it's, I've got really lucky with the the agents and the people who have put a lot of energy into this. So. Ah, okay. Uh, well, and I, I definitely would love to to talk a little bit more about that too. But you know, I always like to start off with with the same basic question, and that is, why do you write? Well, I I think as a natural progression, um, as an avid reader, I don't know. I feel like most of the uh, readers that I talk to all say they at least have some um, fantasy of, of writing a book. I think when you enjoy partaking in a medium that much, some part of you starts dreaming about creating it. And writing is one of those things that we all do to some degree. You know, we all write emails and Facebook posts and um, mm-hmm. tweets. So it's, it's not like we spend a lot of our day painting. Um, right. And then we just think of maybe taking that to the next level. But we all spend a lot of our day writing, and so it seems accessible. And when you're a reader, you're like, well, man, why am I not writing something like this? I just really enjoyed that story. I want to make a story like that on my own. And when I when I do book events, it seems like half the audience, when I pull them, uh, will raise their hands when I say, how many of you have thought about writing a book? Mm-hmm. And so it's such a widespread ambition, and I think it all comes from a love of reading. Very cool. You know, it's always interesting to see what, what drives people, you know, with a, being a, a passionate author. And, and you're right. You know, I think um, a lot of people intend and think about writing, but uh, but then there's the others that actually do. You know, they kind of take it to the next level and um, and, and really dive into that passion, which is cool. So let, let's talk about your approach and process as a writer. Like, um, you know, how uh, do you have a particular pattern for how you write, like long blocks of time, short blocks of time, stuff like that? Yeah, I, I do my best writing when I devote long blocks of time to it. Um, it probably mm. takes me an hour to really get in the flow, and then I'm sure. doing my best work. And and so if I start early in the morning and try to write till lunchtime, and usually I can get my day's quota done by lunchtime, and I can spend the afternoon either revising and editing or answering emails or doing more business-related stuff. Hmm. And and you said uh, your your quota. What what is your quota exactly? If I'm writing like rough draft material, I try to write 2,000 words a day. If I'm revising, um, you know, I try to do a couple chapters a day. If I'm just editing, just looking for typos and mistakes, I'll aim for uh, up to 10 chapters a day. Wow. Very cool. How about uh, muses when you're writing? Do you have favorite music on, places to be when you write, or pets around? Yeah, my, well, my dog's always around, but she's, she doesn't help me. Any. She's always begging me to take her outside or take her to the beach or do something more fun than pecking on my <laughs> keyboard. 
Um, sure. So she she's like a companion, but not much of a muse. I I don't listen to music. I I, I find it, I know it works for a lot of writers, but I find it distracting. Um, for myself, I I really just prefer a quiet place. So I'll just um, sit on the sofa or lay in bed and have my laptop cracked open, and that's pretty much all I need. Ah. Cool. And actually, that was a great segue into my next question. What kind of technologies do you use? So obviously, you're not pen and paper. You talked about a laptop, but um, anything more along those lines? No, just um, I have a MacBook Air that I use for all my writing, and then I have a PC that I use for my um, any graphic arts, um, my pagination stuff, you know, InDesign, Photoshop, things like that. I use my bigger computer. It has a a bigger monitor and, and more hard drive space and more um, CPU power and all that. Um, ah. And I use my smartphone a lot just to respond to emails and check Twitter and Facebook uh, throughout the day. If I'm out running errands and stuff, I can still stay connected. Gotcha. You know, and you'd mentioned um, doing more with the graphical arts and stuff on the PC. Have you actually done like your, your book covers and things too, or is it more just like formatting of the chapters and, and of the manuscript? I used to do all my own covers, but I've um, I've gotten better people involved in that now than than the stuff that I can output. Um, right. But yeah, a lot all my you know my first dozen or more covers were uh, all done by myself. I'm I would take my own photographs and do my own m- image manipulation, and um, and I, I did well with those covers. But um, I've got yeah, uh, people now who who can make who much better artists than myself and. Uh, I like what they come up with. Sure. Well, that's great. Um, how much time and effort do you spend on things like scene and chapter planning, um, writing, revising, those types of things? I don't spend, you know, most of my time with uh, planning and outlining is actually just done in my head. I, mm-hmm. I, I'll spend um, a good week while I'm in the middle of wrapping up one book. You know, that stuff is kind of mindless. Um, you're, you know, laying, you're paginating the physical copy of the book, or you're mm-hmm. going over copy edits from uh, beta readers, and so my time spent away from my that draft, I'm not having to spend thinking about my um, my plot for that book. Um, instead, mm-hmm. I'm daydreaming about the next book. So by mm-hmm. the time I start start writing, I already know the characters, the scenes, and when I'm not writing, I'm laying in bed daydreaming as I fall asleep, you know, what I'm going to write the next day. And that's when my planning really occurs. Very cool. I, I, I like to know, like, the general outline of the whole story before I start. And I like to know the final scene, the way the characters are changed, and what the the climax is, and what the, the you know, the, the most important scene for me really takes place usually at around 95% or so in a book. And I want to know what that scene is so I know what I'm working toward. I, I don't like to just meander and see where it takes me. Um, I like to have a destination. Gotcha. So it sounds like you have kind of a, a rough outline of the entire thing in your head and then that big main scene and then the rest of it kind of fills forward as you're writing. Yeah. Just, yeah. I give my characters plenty of leeway to, and, and they might change what that last scene is, you know, it might, mm-hmm. might not be exactly how I envision it, but a lot of times I will write that, that um, climactic scene before I actually get to it, uh, I'll write it early on in the process. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I don't know why that works for me. I think I, I think I get excited when I know what I'm working toward, and it motivates mm-hmm. me to keep writing to get there. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So you'd actually write out that final scene, and then be able to write back up to it, and then maybe modify it as needed, kind of a thing. 
Right. Like, uh, oh, I killed this character. I guess they can't say that. I'll have someone else say it. You know. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, and you know, even like with the Wolf series, I wrote the last scene um, for Wolf Five while I was in the middle of Wolves Two and Three, mm. and I wrote the last scene of Dust before I'd finished Shift, and it just helps me um, block out the the action and uh, I don't know, I guess filling the gap is easier for me than just writing towards, uh, a, a, you know, like a, like a horizon that I don't feel like I'll ever get to. Instead, I'm, I'm creating this big, um, you know, mountain range that I can see in the distance and I'm going to walk until that gets closer and closer. Mm-hmm. Oh, it makes sense. It's very cool. So before we dive too much in, into wool, my, my last kind of initial question here is I, I saw on your site that, that you're married and, and you've talked about your dog already. How do you balance kind of writing with your family life? Uh, well, it's gotten easier now that I write full time, but it was a challenge when I was writing on top of a, a day job um, mm-hmm. because I was putting, it's like having two full-time jobs. I was putting at least mm-hmm. 40 hours a week into writing on top of a, a 30 hour a week job. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of time, you know, on the weekends and, and at night when my wife would want to go, you know, thing uh, to stay at home and keep working, but it's a lot more balanced now. And I, actually it works really, really well where my, my being home and writing while she's at work, I can also do stuff like, um, get groceries or, um, it have the dog well exercised. So when, when she gets home, like we can spend more time together. We're not having to do as many chores together. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's much more balanced now, but I'm also in a situation that too few writers get to enjoy, unfortunately of uh, writing full time. That's true. That's very true. Well, I bet too, even though when you're on, you know, at home doing chores and, and, and things, uh, you know, the story is still playing in the back of your mind the whole time. Oh yeah, she catches me. Uh, she catches my mind wandering a lot. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I probably look like I'm thinking about something very serious, and I'm I'm thinking about a fight scene or an upcoming mm-hmm. chapter or something like that. Yeah, it just doesn't have an off switch, does it? <laughs> no, and, that, and that's a good thing because I I think it's dangerous if you don't write while you're away from your computer or your pad and, and pencil. Right. If you wait until you sit down and you're staring at a blank screen, then there's pressure mm-hmm. to come up with something. And uh, it's, to me, it's better to have that scene written in your head beforehand, and then you know what you're writing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit more specifically about Wool. Um, you know, it, if you could, take me back to that original spark. You know, like, where did Wool come from, and what was your inspiration? The idea behind the, the original story, it started with the wall screen. I actually have um, had an idea of writing four um stories all using that same technology at different times in human history and mm. what was going to be the, the last of the stories um, and uh, the silo is kind of a secondary feature uh, it's just a mm-hmm. place to house the wall screen but the wall screen the idea was um, that you your view of the world is limited to this one single uh, lens mm-hmm. and what you see out there is horrible and what does that do to human ambition and, and hope and, those, and dreams and those sorts of things and, and that idea came from spending years sailing and seeing the world and visiting places that uh, I had been kind of brainwashed to think were horrible, like Cuba and uh, Nicaragua and uh, Colombia, and, and 
seeing them for myself and then coming back and seeing 24 hour news, which was showing, you know, only bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it made me wonder, God, what, what does this do to us to like only have, uh, this one image of the world and it's uh, not a pleasant one. And right. so wool was kind of a metaphor for that. And it was very much a Plato's cave. If the, the shadows of things we see on the wall were only big, scary things with claws, kind of a, hmm. a, a metaphor. Yeah, very cool. You know, I, I thought it was really interesting. I'm, I'm new to the Will series myself, so I, I've just started to read it. And um, one of the things that I thought was so so interesting, but also so jarring, was when the sheriff actually got outside and, you know, he was seeing the presentation of, you know, green, lush uh, fields and all of these things, and it, it just turned out to be yet another IT-generated illusion <laughs> that when um, the suit started to come off, he died by it because of all the toxins that he always saw. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was, it was really quite striking because you kind of get real hopeful and then you start wondering where the story's going to go. And then all of a sudden it twists again. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And that was the entire, that was the entire story for, for months. That was just that first short story. Um, mm-hmm. that, the, the first chapter or wool one um, and that people ask where the title comes from, but you know, that's mm-hmm. the hint on what, what, you know, the big twist at the end, having the wool pulled over your eyes is right. the, hint, the hint there is that it's the visor that's lying to you. That's what's being pulled over your eyes, not the uh, wall screen. And, right. Um, uh, so, but I had that, had that story written in that title. And when I followed it up with more stories, I just stuck with that title. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, the title wool really refers just to that first part, but then mm-hmm. I, I stuck with it for the next four parts as well. Well, you know, it gives quite an emotional punch, and it's something you don't forget either. You know, because for so many people, I mean, they're they're actually plagued in a way; they're obsessed with the cleaning of the screen and the wool, and you know, it really kind of sets the tone for that whole environment. So I, I think it's completely fitting. It, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, def- I, I guess it lends a sense of danger early on so that no one mm-hmm. feels safe. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, did you have a particular group of people that you thought would enjoy the story, or was it that you just kind of saw the vision and you wanted to put it out there for people? I, I didn't think anybody would enjoy it. I, I really wrote it for myself. I, that's why, you know, when I finished it, I, I threw it up on Amazon for 99 cents and I didn't, didn't market it or uh, have any... Uh, aspirations for it. I mean, I published it and I went right back to writing my novels. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't, man, I didn't think there was an audience for this kind of story at all. Wow. Well, little did you know, huh? <laughs> exactly. It's so much I know. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's a happy accident. You know, when you were writing the, the first book or, or even the extensions onto it, what, what was the most like thrilling part for you to write? And why? Um, I, well, I don't know how far along we are in the story, but in, in Wool 4, the underwater scene with Juliet was the most exciting for me. Um, I was, would literally get breathless while I was writing that scene, and, and I would look up from my laptop and feel like I was looking through water. It was mm. uh, really intense. Very cool. And And then the converse to that is, what was the most difficult thing for you to write, and why? Um, in the whole series, it would have to be in, in the shift books. I had to write about the death of a, of a pet and that was really tough. 
Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, there are actually quite a few scenes out where was that challenging. That first... Okay, uh, it was in third shift. Third shift. Okay, so book eight. Yeah, book eight. Gotcha. Very cool. And what what made it so difficult for you to write that? Like, were you thinking about your own dog, or you know, what what was the connection there for you emotionally? Yeah, and you know, the hardest the hardest loss I've had to deal with, um, and I've you know been lucky in that I haven't lost a lot of family members. But um, my uh, my wife and I had a dog for nine years that was just like a, a child to us. I mean, we just mm-hmm. loved that dog to death, and um, I lost that dog right before I wrote uh, the first wolf story, and I don't mm. know if that's why I wrote something so dark. But um, yeah, it was just really, really tough. So writing about writing about that was was difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that makes some of the the best writing because it, it just comes across so authentically because you're feeling the emotion as you're writing it, and that really translates well. You know, obviously. <laughs> So you were talking a little bit about the first edition in Amazon. How long did it actually take you to write that first story for Well One? I think I spent three weeks on that, which was quite a long time for me for uh, a story of that length. Um, and it may have been about two and a half weeks, but somewhere in that range. And then you said when you finished it, you didn't really think it was going to go anywhere, so you just kind of it out there. You really didn't have any particular next steps in mind for what to do or which, where you wanted to take it. No, I what I I just published uh, a story of similar length called um, the Plagiarist, and mm-hmm. I fell in love with writing that length. And that the Plagiarist was written for a, a school project. I was taking classes while I was working at a bookstore, and uh, they were part of my job uh, packages. I got one free college course a semester and I took advantage of that hmm. I was taking a science fiction class and so I wrote the plagiarist for that for that class and I thought man that's a great link I can really you can knock a story out in a few weeks mm-hmm. and have it polished and edited and published and, um, and so I, I had this idea for wool for a long time uh, I was sitting on that for about five years and I thought man I, I'm never going to get a chance to write this as a novel the way I want so Mm-hmm. Let's write it like we like I just wrote the plagiarist and get it out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I did that, and um, you know, it wasn't like I I hurried it. I mean, I invested all the same time I did into the plagiarist, and um, then had it um, you know went through my normal levels of revision to have it in really good shape, and then mm-hmm. yeah, published it and thought, okay, that's out of my system now. I can go back to writing the next novel, which everyone actually wants to read. Mm-hmm. Little did you know it, it would go right back to wool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, now I'm getting back to that novel, finally. After two years right. of working on wool and writing I Zombie, I'm back to, uh, to finishing what I started that long ago. That's very cool. So what brought you to actually use Amazon, you know, direct to, to Kindle when you decided to put wool out there? Um, well, it was really the, the only game in town, um, as far as I was concerned, back in the summer of 2011. Um, everyone else was uh, really a bit player. And so, you know, this, the Kindle was kind of the 
synonymous with e-readers at the time. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted your work discovered or have any kind of chance, you uh, you put it on the, the Kindle store. And I'd also discovered CreateSpace and started using them for my print-on-demand books. So I I just looked at Amazon as my publisher. They were the um, people you went to if you want to get your work to the widest audience possible without um, having to go through any sort of middleman or uh, gatekeeper. Right. Well, that makes sense. Totally. Well, what was your experience like working with the system? Was it hard to you know figure out to get your stuff out there? You know, what, what was it like for you? Well, I, you can, I can say it took some figuring, but looking back on it, it's, it's interesting. People say, like, guy, the reason I want to be with the publishers, I just don't want to waste my time doing all the the, the publishing stuff. But man, it, like, even knowing nothing, it took me a weekend to to figure out hmm. how to. Um, to read all the facts and figure out how to format the book and and make it available and get it out there. So it wasn't a huge investment time. It certainly felt like you know I had no idea what I was doing and I felt bewildered and lost to start with. But um, it didn't take long to uh, to go through the the procedure and get everything uploaded. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's cool. And I know they've been really trying to refine out the system and make it even more intuitive over time. You know, you had mentioned that you just kind of put it out there. You really didn't do any marketing. So then people just found it kind of organically through searching new science fiction on Amazon, or how did they, they come across it then? My guess is the very first readers were from my other series. Uh, this was like my eighth mm-hmm. and ninth work. Um so I, I hadn't, you know, in three years of writing and publishing and doing all the things you, you know, try to do to get to get your name out there and your stuff available with eight published works, I'd probably sold uh, between four and five thousand um, copies of all my titles, digital and physical. And wow. so I had um, enough of a of an installed base that when they read something that they that was very sticky, um, you know, that had some level of, um, uh, I don't know what the right word would be for it, but um, like a, a social tackiness where um, or almost like an addiction. You read it and you want to tell five other people that they should read it. Mm. And Virality, I think, is what they call it. Virality, yeah. Like the viral, it, viral quotient kind of thing. Yeah, so it, it was the first thing that... that um, I had that had that sort of really explosive growth. And I've talked to a lot of people since when I, when I do book tours, it's one of the things I like to ask people, like how many of you have told other people to read this? And I've, I've met so many people who not only uh, suggested the book, but I meet people all the time who bought like upwards of 10 mm-hmm. copies of the book to give to people. And yeah. that sort of thing, you know, that's why the, the growth curve was almost logarithmic. I mean, it was... I went from selling wow. a dozen copies to a hundred to a thousand to ten thousand to a hundred thousand, and it was without any paid ads or any kind of marketing gimmicks. It was just the power of social media when people find something that they like. Wow! And and those were all eBooks then. They weren't actually physical copies at that point. Yeah, I had physical copies available, and they were they were selling well enough. I mean, I was really shocked at how many physical books I was selling, but you know, I the ninety percent of my sales were uh, were ebooks. Wow, that's very cool. 
You know, you mentioned on your site bio that uh, demand from Amazon reviewers sent me scurrying to write more tales in the subterranean world. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, um, what were people saying? How were they saying it? You know, through Amazon, um, stuff like that. Well, I used to get on my Amazon page maybe once a week just to see if there are any new reviews. I might not have been that often back then because reviews are so difficult to get. Like, you can... You can beg your best friend for a review and never get one. It's just, I mean, people might <laughs> yeah. love a book, and I'm guilty of this. There are books that I love to death, but when I finish them, I pick up the next book. I don't, I don't think of taking my time to go to Amazon and leave a review. I just have no idea how important those things are, and I, I didn't mm-hmm. understand how important they were even until Wool took off, and I saw this correlation between, okay, reviews are pouring in and sales are going crazy. There has to be some kind of correlation right. there. Um, yeah, but so when I went to the page, like it, I used to, I could tell you how many reviews I had on every book. You know, I could, uh, even though I had nine books published, those numbers mm-hmm. just looked because they never changed. It was like okay, five, seventeen, thirteen, eleven, and if I went to that page and that number was up by one, I would click it and see what people thought about one of my Molly Five books. Mm-hmm. And what what really caught my attention was I went to that page and it was like. Oh my God, there's like seven new reviews for wool in a week. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that. And I started reading them and all the reviews were just like, I mean, I had nothing but five-star reviews for a couple of months. It was crazy. And, uh, and all, all of them said, you know, that they loved this. Where's the rest of it? And they wanted to know, you know, God, it was just, it was great, but it was too short. What happens next? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like having market research. I thought, okay, mm-hmm. people want more of this. I'm crazy not to drop what I'm doing and, and write more in this world. It's the first time I had any kind of demand for my work. Right. That's what I set out to do. That's very cool. You know, that the social proof is so important. You know, Amazon and eBay and other places like that have, have really shown us that um, the, the power of ratings – um, really drives people to make new purchases and, and other things. Um, it's actually called like a social quotient. Um, and, and there's some figures out there that actually suggest if you have something like 17 um, positive ratings, that's like the tipping point where it starts impacting people's purchasing decisions. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's all like e-marketing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I believe that. It's, and I, and, and I noticed, I know that for myself. My wife and I just went on vacation and, and we were in all these mm-hmm. cities in California and we wanted to eat we would bring up, you know, um, different social media like uh, like Yelp and things like that. Yelp. Mm-hmm. And we would, you know, people's people who left reviews dictated where we ate, and we ate. Mm. I, I've never eaten so good since I started using Yelp. You just don't yep. take a chance. Like you want Thai food, and you don't say where's the where's the closest Thai place. You you ask yourself what's the best Thai place in town. Right. And then you go get in line. <laughs> What's the nearest five-star place, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, what was the most, like, notable comment that, that you read from someone or review, positive or negative, or, or even one of each? Um, you know, the, the best reviews I've had uh, are people who – I've had several people tell me that, that this book got them into reading again. And, wow. you know, that means that, that they had fallen out of reading – um, that they were no longer, you know, enjoying a pastime that I think is the absolute best thing you can do with your brain and your spare time. 
and now they were getting back into it and they were buying other people's works. And that is exciting to me. And that's the, that's the reason that I am so pro other authors. I just feel like, you know, we're all in this game together and anytime that we can turn someone on to reading, it helps everybody. And so, um, and similar to that are the reviews that say, I don't normally read science fiction, but I love this or now I'm a fan of science fiction. And as someone who's, you know, tolerated the, uh, or endure the, the stigma against the genre. That's really exciting. That's very cool. Was there ever a particular review um, that maybe wasn't as inspiring, but rather maybe something that, that caught you off guard that you didn't expect? Yeah, I, I didn't expect some people to really bear their souls in their reviews like they can. Um, there's a guy who said that he hasn't been able to enjoy reading since his wife died and somehow reading uh, will help him get over that. And I actually started a conversation with this guy um, in the, in the Amazon comments and and we moved it to email and just became friends. We really bonded over, over a a shared uh, uh, loss and ended up um, uh, dedicating the, uh, first shift to him and his and his wife, uh, who passed away. Oh, wow! And um, yeah, I was just been really surprised by how some people will share things that are so personal and intimate on something like mm-hmm. a, an Amazon review. Right, of all places. Yeah, that that is amazing. You know, given your experience with Amazon and, and self publishing, and now that you're established, would you ever consider going traditional again, or you know, out of convenience for yourself, or, or anything, or or do you kind of feel like you're always going to use this model now? I don't really uh, think about going the other way, and I, I don't think it would be convenient to do it. Uh, I mean, it's so, mm-hmm. so much more convenient to do it this way. Um, there's so many delays and processes and steps involved uh, with, with a traditional publisher, um, you know, I could probably, I could probably publish um, my, you know, I could have published iZombie and my next works to a traditional publisher just because they figure that my name will sell books. But um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not the way that I think. I mean, I, my preference is to go direct to the reader. I can keep the price lower for them by self-publishing. I can get it to them quicker with very limited delay. So I can't imagine publishing the other way. What I will entertain, because it's been shown now that a self-published work doesn't preclude it from being published in in other ways. So I'm going to continue to Mm self-publish. And if if a publisher wants to talk to me about a work afterward, and they can be innovative enough with their offer so that they're not going to jack up the ebook price and they're not going to create delays on um, different uh, formats like the paperback and things like that, then I'll, I'll entertain that. But it's, it's not going right. to be, I'm, I'm not going to turn my back on a system that I think is a lot more fair to the reader and to myself. Right. Well, you know, it's certainly refreshing to hear that kind of focus and, and things on the reader and, and kind of the mutual benefit because you can get your vision and your story out to the readers and the readers can actually afford to read it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then they can afford to buy someone else's book afterward, you know, and, People ask me, mm-hmm. I get emails all the time from people like, I just finished the pool, what should I read next? And I recommend them someone else's book. You know, I don't, I don't tend to my stuff. I, I think, you know, we, when, when we price our books affordably, we become even less uh, competitors with each other. 
Sure. Well, absolutely. Well, and because it, it just forwards the genre of, and art of, you know, authoring and, and taking people into different realms and lands, you know, instead of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you brought up a good point. You said that you could recommend other people. Um, do you have anyone off the top of your head that, that you would recommend to other people after they get done reading well? Now that you brought it up. <laughs> um, well, one of the indie authors who I know is blowing up right now is um, uh, a guy I've become friends with named um, um, Matthew Mather. And he, um, uh, last time I checked, one of his books was like number 44 in all of Amazon. And he just got a, wow. a, a movie deal and he's got a lot of exciting stuff going on. His book, Cyberstorm, is what I recommend to science fiction readers. And in the traditional world, I just um, I can't recommend more highly enough this book called um, Lexicon by Max Berry. It's one of the best things I've ever read. Wow. Fantastic. Well, I definitely have to check those out. Maybe have a conversation with them as well. <laughs> I, I appreciate the you recommendations. Get, you should get Max Berry on. He's, I mean, I think he's one of the most talented writers out there, and I'm, I'm shocked that this book is not, you know, He's an Australian writer, but this book deserves to be number one on the New York Times list. It's just it's one of the best books you've ever read. Wow. Well, with a, a review like that, I'll, I'll definitely have to go and check it out. So thank you for the tip. <laughs> you know, so beyond Amazon, you know, and getting reviews, I know you mentioned that you, you do some book tours. Do you, other, do you do other things too, like more um, blogging, conventions, uh, you know, those types of things? How do you stay connected with your fan base? Um, I kind of well, I mostly stay connected through uh, Facebook and Twitter and, and my website. And I, I I go to conventions. So when I'm in big cities, I'll do meetups with readers. Um, but I, I think conventions are more just enjoyable uh, and a great way to to stay energized and meet other writers. Um, mm -hmm. and and you will meet some readers there, but. Um, I think I think the best thing you can do for connecting with your readers is just make yourself available. Make sure they have your email address and and you know accept all Facebook friends and all Twitter followers and um uh, you know just be yourself and be as available as you can. You know as much put as much time into that as you care to. Mm-hmm. That's definitely good advice. And, you know, I, I saw on your Wikipedia page that you're currently working on, on book nine for Wool. Is is that accurate? Yeah, and that's the the last in the series, and it's it's done. It's um, in the hands of editors now. Oh, wow. Fantastic. And and you had also mentioned on, on your personal site more with Molly Fade, is it? Yeah, Molly Fade. It's, um, the, Fide? Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm well into the next book in that series. I'm, I'm actually working on that now while I'm waiting on the edits to come back for for wool. Very cool. And this is a continuance of a, a series that you already had going, or is this a brand new series with her in it? Yeah, it's the fifth book in this series, and I was, I was actually working on it when wool took off. It's what I abandoned when I noticed the yeah. demand for more wool. So I'm returning to that to, to polish it off, and then I'll start a new series. Very cool. Wow, that's really exciting. Um, did you have any other uh, comments or things that you wanted to share about upcoming projects or any other news? Uh, not really. I I, I really don't um, hype my other my upcoming stuff very well. 
because people, people just discover <laughs> okay. it if they want to. Um, but uh, yeah, my my website's the best place to to keep informed on things like that. Okay, great. And, and the last two kind of wrap up questions I have is, you know, do you have a particular message for your fans or, or anything out there? Um, guy, anytime I anytime I can send a word out to my fans, it's just to thank them. I mean, the 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 opportunities that they've opened up, it's everything that's happened in my life in the last few years, it's all been because of them and I'm just eternally grateful. It's been uh it's a wild ride and it's been all made possible from them. Great. And how about uh, to those like aspiring authors that want to share their own stories? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think the the best thing you can do is to get your work out there. You know, um, sit down and finish it, and then publish it, make it available. Um, it's it's the, the number one piece of advice that I, I give people. Don't don't sit on your dreams, and once you have a story completed, don't sit on your manuscript. Uh, get it written and get it published however you can, and move on to the next thing and, and enjoy it. Very cool. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, great. Well, that's kind of all the questions that I have. Um, I, I, so I guess that's all. <laughs> oh, cool. I, I, I really appreciate all the time that you've taken. We've been on the phone for over 37 minutes now, so thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, man. Thank you for this. Oh, likewise. And like I said, um, if there's a particular URL that uh, you would like me to put in the little like description as we post it out to the site, um, you can just email that to me, um, or I can just use your personal website. You know, whatever you want, just let me know. Okay? Yeah, the, I mean, the best is really just the HughHowie.com. Um, okay. Uh, that's, right. that's the best one one stop place. Sounds good. All right. Well, what I'll do is, um, I, as I mentioned, we'll I'll just do some post processing on the audio file. We'll get it posted out to the site, and I'll send you off uh, a link when when it's up. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Excellent. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much again. My pleasure, Ed.